The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Dean Mackin. Dean Mackin. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And welcome to Friday. Thank God it's Friday. I love that ad, by the way. Everybody's got an Aunt Dolores. And you just kind of pray she doesn't rock up on Christmas Day. Don't go anywhere near the salad. Don't touch the salad or the chicken. Aunt Dolores, yeah, you stinker indeed. Okay, now that I've got that out of my system, uh, a big thank you to Chris Smith. And uh, he'll be back on Monday. He'll have a terrific weekend, I hope, and uh, you as well. A couple of things. I'm going to talk about something that involves these brown paper bags. And not necessarily from Coles because... because uh, we might be shopping at Coles soon because we're going to give Woolies a big miss. You know, they're in with BlackRock and all those people pushing their political agendas on you. I had a big rant about them uh, and wrecking Australia Day and being more than happy to do that. But uh, I'm going to talk about brown paper bags in a slightly different context uh, imminently. But I would just like to say um, I had to buy a new pair of glasses. Now, I have multifocal glasses. Now, they're not typically uh, cheap and it's all about the lenses and my lenses you know, kind of, you know, it's here for seeing in the distance there for looking at the computer screen and out through the bottom if I have some really fine print that I want to see. And, um, of course, if you have a rather strong prescription being plus or minus five or more, the, the lenses tend to be rather thick. And as a result, you want them thinned down and everything's extra. The coating's extra, the grinding of the thinner lenses. Of course, you get the ultra thin, there's another 100. The super ultra thin, there's another 100. So I went to that place here in Australia. I won't name them, but it's four letters. You know the place where you get glasses and get your eyes tested. I had my eyes tested there. Would you like a new set of glasses? Well, I've only come here to get contact lenses so I can do the this, exactly what I'm doing now. And um, so that was fine. And at the end, I thought, well, my glasses are three-year-old. They're a bit scratched. I'll, I'll get a quote off them that they think I'm about to buy, but I know better than to buy at the four-letter place. Anyway, so they're giving me a quote. And we were up to, and this is with a 20% discount because I'm an NRMA Roadside Assistance member. The lenses, before I added on the $400 frames, were down with the 20% discount, down as low as, for one pair, by the way, to $960. And that wasn't the top of the range ones either. That was me dropping down two levels. So I thought I'll give that a bit of a miss. And I said to uh, the young lady, I'll go get another price from the other place. Uh, let's just say they're called, and you might save some money. If you're watching, you'd know what that was. Um, so I went to them. Now it was magnificent. It was so much cheaper that it wasn't even funny. I was going to get two pairs for 900, including the frames, name brand. Frames. And the reason I'm telling you this is because something I discovered yesterday and you'll save a fortune. And I was about to order them. A mate of mine rang me and I said, mate, I've, uh, I can't talk. I'm at the optometrist about to buy a pair of glasses. He said, well, make sure you talk to me before you do. So I, I told the woman, I'll just go outside. I had a brief chat and he put me onto a place online where he has been buying his glasses for ages. And there are plenty of these places. I did that. I got my prescription. I typed in all the information and I uploaded a photo of it. They will arrive in four days. And instead of, uh, you know, $480 per pair, they ended up costing me $170 per pair. And, you know, with the ultra, super, ultra thin lenses and all that. And I think they're coming from overseas or something via DHL. But the point is, if you want to save a lot of money and you're just used to going to the optometrist, no, go get your eyes tested, go online, upload your script to one of these places, but don't do it for another week. Wait till I get mine and I'll tell you if they are as magnificent as my friend 
informs me or has me believing they will be because I'd love you to save some money too. Anyway, thinking about saving money, you can shop here at Coles, at Coles because you don't want to shop at Woolworths because they are not, they're not on board Team Australia. Now, brown paper bags, politicians have been fans of brown paper bags for a long, they love the brown paper bag. In fact, I think they miss the brown paper bag, but there are new ways of, in political terms, getting a brown paper bag. If you, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Now let's talk about the University of Pennsylvania. What a wonderful place it is. Now you may know that because it's been in the news of late and it would be because of the anti-Semitic comments that have been allowed on the University of Pennsylvania campus by Liz McGill, who is obviously on board with anti-Semitism. She doesn't mind it at all, one might imagine. She wouldn't even acknowledge that the the uh, annihilation of the Jews or people pushing for that was something that would be considered harassment or bullying. As a result, and this went viral, by the way, she ended up having to step down and subsequently there is an interim president of the University of Pennsylvania, UPenn, as it's like, as they call it. But go back a few months, go back to like May, and they had some questions about a couple of the professors. And I do use that term very loosely because apparently you can get those uh, professorships in the bottom of a brown paper bag. They call it a professor of practice, of practice. I don't know what you have to practice. Uh, I dare say these two have been practicing something daily that could affect their eyesight and ties in with what I was saying. But these two particular characters, uh, pro professors of practice, if you will, one of them, Professor Joe Biden, was at that university getting 400,000 US, about 600,000 Australian dollars per year. He was there for just over two years. That's a million dollars. And I don't know why I'm reminded of this thing again. I have no idea. But anyway, for some reason that popped into my head. And guess who else was there? Jeb Bush. But don't take my word for it, because when Liz McGill was there, before she had to step down for her anti-Semitic comments, someone else decided to ask her all about it. Some insight into why Joe Biden was paid almost a million dollars by UPenn. What were his responsibilities when he is at UPenn? Did he teach a class? I appreciate the question. Uh, President Biden was a professor of practice at University of Pennsylvania for a little over two years. My understanding is that his salary was $400,000 a year. We also had uh, Mr. Jeb Bush as a professor of practice at University of Pennsylvania. Uh, President Biden had a wide variety of uh, uh obligations he was in what obligations many different classes. exactly did he have he was he held seminars he was in many different classes he interacted with thousands of students over the time he was there mm -hmm. he invited uh speakers the goal of the center was to enhance four hundred thousand dollars anonymous chinese donations poured into up and after your university hired joe biden and he appeared to have a no-show job a no-show job, anonymous Chinese donations. People, are we awake yet? Are we awake? Do we not know what's going on uh, in general? And it's happening at all levels, everywhere from that local town mayor, you know, the local councils, all the way up to the top. It is absolutely a cesspit and it needs to be absolutely scrapped. It needs to be wiped again. We could, if we could get the computers under control, if we could get the people who control the computers to be our people, we could have citizens initiated referendums, which means the people get to have a say on anything. We don't need these bastards. Problem is, if we ask them to do it, we know how much we could trust the computers, don't we? Yes, and that's been, you don't want to question that either because uh, you may get sued 
and get sacked like Tucker Carlson did. But we certainly don't want to do that anymore. But there it is. Uh, and I would love these thousands of students with whom Joe Biden connected and taught and uh, interacted. I would love a list of those. And we could chat with them and find out just how much he did. Uh, because that's not bad, is it? 400 US thousand dollars a year for just over two years. And Jeb Bush was there too, because Jeb Bush is just a mental giant. And of course, the university students would be hanging off every word that he says. What a world that we live in. And why do we allow this to happen? I have no idea, but here we are. Let's uh, get more vocal. Let's get more active people rather than say, well, I'm not going to vote for them. Why don't you replace these people? Step up, become a candidate. We need some strong parties. We need some strong people, some big characters, people like Dick Smith. If he was to have ever run, it would have been an absolute whitewash because we all trust Dick Smith. And of course, the good ones never do it. So we're left with who we have. Very unfortunate. Now, for all of the latest community events, rallies, marches, festivals, and fundraisers uh, happening around you, then you can visit the Watson event calendar at the TNT website. Uh, the website being tntradio.live, and we'll help you to stay in touch. It's the stuff. It's that division people are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, brown paper bags are plenty. And of course, they'll force them on you because you can't use plastic anymore. But who would do that? Gemma Cooper, hello. Hello, good morning. Morning from here in the UK, afternoon and uh, where you are, Dean. And uh, yeah, it's Friday. The weekend is fast approaching. This week has gone incredibly quickly. So much news to talk about. And we're only in the second week of the year. Yes, blinking, you could miss it. I don't know what temperature it is where you are. I walked outside, it felt like about 37 degrees Celsius where I am. Uh, what is it where you are? Well, it's not that. I can assure you it's not that. <laughs> We've been in the midst of a really horrible cold snap after a battering of storms, which have been going on since uh, September. So we've had we've had floods here in the UK and now everything is uh, freezing up. Loads of the UK have had snow. Um, parts of the UK have been underwater, which has then turned to ice. I mean, it's a classic British winter, I would argue. Certainly no sign of global boiling. But yeah, uh, we're at diametrically opposed. I'd much rather be where you are. I can assure you of that. Well, so would I, if the air conditioner was working, I'll attend to that over the weekend. But yes, isn't it crazy, Jim, what we have to contend with these people? You know, they go on, they they lead us politically, they work in our media. Then when they uh, decide to, to go, they typically go to a job, uh, despite the fact that we're all happy that they're gone. We shouldn't be happy because they go off to these jobs where they don't really have to rock up. They're on the board of directors, millions of dollars. And it seems like some sort of payoff to me. That's what it seems like. And if it seems like that to me and to many others, I would suggest it may well be. And I would uh, hope that we could outlaw that and uh, stop that from happening ever again. That would be nice. It would be a step in the right direction. Well, unfortunately, the establishment looks after itself, doesn't it? And uh, I, I often think it's more dangerous when they do leave the public eye because they join these shadowy quangos and they go on corporate boards and they they continue to protect their interests and, and extend their interests and the interests of their friends and those above them and the elites. We all know this and corporate interests and we can't see what's going on. Um, so when they disappear from public life and they go on to to have these uh, careers, they're, they're, they're free of scrutiny um, and they are pocketing a huge amount of money. I mean, I don't begrudge somebody earning money um, if they have got the skills and expertise to do that. Uh, but this is such a closed shop, isn't it? And it's always uh, the establishment protecting its own. And that continues well after people have left the political stage. But I do agree with you absolutely, Dean, about politics on a local level. I do think that's where change can be engineered. And I do think that's where, uh, you know, us, the 99%, uh, have got a chance of, uh, of gaining a foothold in the political process and changing things on a grassroots level. Because a grassroots level is where most of us live. 
We live in our neighborhoods. We live in our communities. If you can affect change there, that is real change for the better because that's lived experience. Change at a higher level. It doesn't really filter down to us, maybe eventually. Um, but yeah, I, I've changed my opinion on that in terms of voting. I will vote in local elections this time around. I still won't participate in the in the general election scam. I absolutely don't believe that. Two, two legs on the same chair, our political system. doesn't matter who you vote for. The policies will be the same. But on a local level, I'm going to go for it. I might even stand. There we go. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd love for you to stand at, at a federal level. I mean, I would love for you to uh, to do that because, I mean, we need good people. We need people that we know we can trust. And anyone that works in, you know, uh, the type of media that we do, we've proven this, you know, by, you know, we'll we'll give up those jobs on mainstream TV and uh, radio simply because we don't want to do that. We'd rather do what we're doing because we can sleep better at night that we can work here, say what we want, and we don't have to be told continuously or threatened or any of that. But that's not why we ended up here. We ended up here because it's one format where you can absolutely speak the truth and we are uncensored and it's live and it's terrific. And you don't get that too many other places except right here at TNT. What have you got for us today, Gemma? Well, it's an update on the um, escalating situation in the Middle East. There's been a huge amount of reaction that's come out within the last hour, some of it within the last half an hour on the joint operation between the UK and the US. They've gone in overnight. They started bombing targets in Yemen as a response to the Houthi attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea. We all know about that. We've talked about it before and we said... The worst thing that could happen is that this could escalate. Lo and behold, it's escalated. Uh, you guys have come in with us. Uh, the Netherlands are there as well, Bahrain. Uh, some of that is non-military support, but it's a, it's a coordinated attack nevertheless. And within the last hour, the US Air Force says it struck more than 60 targets at 16 Iranian-backed Houthi militant locations. They've just issued a statement on their website, and US Central Command has issued some images of uh, launches from its ships. Um, very beautiful images, I must say, very lovely and crafted images. And there are very few images actually coming out of Yemen at the moment. There are some circulating on social media, but they're unverified. We're not sure if they are actually you know, new images or old images that are doing the rounds. That is the problem with social media. Um, so what we've got, though, is a lot of reaction to Biden's and and Rishi Sunak's uh, attack. And they're, they're very, you know, come out all guns blazing, saying further attacks if uh, the Houthis don't stop their uh, continued and sustained bombardment of commercial shipping in the Red Sea. It's not working, though, because the Houthis have said, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. So some of the reaction coming out of the Middle East, uh, the Houthi deputy foreign minister, Hussein Al-Azi, he has said in the last hour, our country has been subjected to a massive aggressive attack by American and British ships, submarines and warplanes. And this is the key. America and Britain will have to prepare to pay a heavy price and bear all the consequences of this dire action. We have uh, we have. Um, Mohammed Abul Salam, he's posted a statement on X. He's a, he's a spokesman for the Houthi rebel group. He says they will continue to target all the ships in the Red Sea. He's posted quite a detailed statement on X. And we have now got other countries wading in. Iran has come in in the last 40 minutes saying it strongly condemns the airstrike, saying they consider it a clear violation of Yemen's sovereignty and territorial integrity. And it's a clear breach of international laws, regulations and rights. This is all as a response to, to, to Biden and Sunak's kind of, we're not going to take this anymore. We've had enough. We're wading in. But what's more worrying is Lebanon's armed faction, the terrorist group Hezbollah, which is part of the axis of resistance, along with the Houthi rebels, uh, the coalition of organizations in the Middle East that really can't bear the West. They have said 
This American aggression confirms again that the US is a full partner in the tragedies and massacres committed by the Zionist enemy in Gaza. Now, Hezbollah, when they're annoyed, you will know about it. So what we've got here is a situation where we're putting in more conflict to stop conflict. Uh, it's not working. It's escalating. The Houthis aren't going to back down now that the US and the UK have gone in. We, we won't, the West won't back down either. This is a clear show of strength, uh, along with some Australian help, some help from Canada, the Netherlands. Um, it's, it's that what we talked about before, you can't solve a problem with the same energy that created it. So it, more war to stop war, more conflict to stop conflict. Um, you know, we were hoping we wouldn't see the tinderbox that is the Middle East um, escalate any further than it already has. Unfortunately, we're only in the second week of January and it looks like we could be heading for World War Three. I don't want to be too doom-mongerish about this, but that's how it looks. And um, the reaction coming out of the Middle East in the last hour or so, some of it in the last half an hour, is, is clearly... Uh, you know, they're not they're not going to back down. They have no intention of backing down. And so we're not going to see this conflict going away. We're going to be talking about it more and more, Dean. Yeah, I think we are. They're throwing fuel on the fire and that's going to be a war of attrition. I wouldn't want to be one of those Houthi uh, people with the uh, rockets because I dare say they'll last about five and a half seconds each. Uh, this thing will escalate. Um, I don't know if I if Iran has the guts to to uh, get into this. It'll be very interesting. It'll be very stupid on their part. We've seen what happened over in Gaza. And as horrific as that is, I dare say the Iranians would probably uh, face a similar plight if they push forward with this. It's not going to end well. And at the end of the day, there's going to be more dead people and none of us want to see that. Let's just hope that cooler heads prevail and, and the whole thing uh, disarms, literally. That would be absolutely wonderful. But I don't think, and nor do I think you think, that will be the case, Gemma Cooper. No, I, I don't think so. And, and the, 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 this, the, you see the official version of events. I mean, like some of the images that US Central Command have issued, you know, it's a bit like the photos from the moon landing. They're quite beautiful and very, very picturesque. You know, it's very clear to PR campaign. We're told one version of events, the truth. You know, I'm still very skeptical when they say that the Houthis are funded by Iran. Are they? Are they? We yeah, don't know about the rumours between the, the CIA and ISIS. Those rumours have been doing the rounds for years. So who, the real truth of this situation and the, the interests that are being protected, we'll never know. We can only speculate and guess, and lots of people are very switched on and awake now. But this is the official version of events that's being presented to us. It's an escalation of conflict. With the starting the new year on a very kind of precarious note, where people will be worried, thinking, oh, my God, are we heading for a nuclear war? Of course, you can't not think that in this day and age. Um, so that's where we are. I wish I could bring you some better news for a Friday. Friday, Dean. I'm sorry, I can't. It's okay. I'm not going to think too much about it because uh, me thinking about it's not going to fix anything. So I've learned anything I can't solve. I dare not spend too much mind time on. But in the meantime, uh, I, I do worry for those over there who will uh, needlessly lo lose their lives for the people uh, on those ships as well. I have a, a great deal of uh, thought uh, about them as well. Uh, okay, I shouldn't read and talk at the same time, should I? Gemma Cooper, thank you. You'll be joining us next hour here at TNT. And right up after the break, everybody, the wonderful Alexandra Marshall. Don't go anywhere. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, 
Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. As a combat-wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket-propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was gonna make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. It's time to switch on today's news talk radio. Very entertaining. TNT. And welcome back to the program. My next guest is one that you may immediately identify with and recognize. She's absolutely wonderful. Her name is Alexandra Marshall, a writer, an artist, and a media personality. And for those of you who get around the internet, you would absolutely know who this wonderful lady is. G'day, Alexandra Marshall. Nice to be here with you today. Thank you for joining us today. Lots going on and uh, excess deaths. Um, Unfortunately, the evidence seems to be mounting that there could have actually been more deaths as a result of the cure, and I use that in inverted commas, uh, than the disease ever uh, was likely to, uh, in fact, create. Um, Give us some more information. I've been reading a couple of articles and I saw an interview that you did, and I thought it was wonderful, by the way. Uh, Yes, as the online editor of The Spectator Australia, I see a lot of articles come through across my desk regarding the rise in all-cause mortality and people who are trying to work out exactly what's causing this because, of course, COVID is basically finished and people are still dying. And so the question is being asked around the world and in lots of countries, why are we still seeing people dying of things like heart attacks and strokes after the virus has gone? And the answer appears to be it is a side effect of the COVID vaccines and particularly mRNA vaccines. Now, with this particular article that I'm about to discuss went viral. It's by Wendy Hoy on Augusta Zimmerman. I have it here in front of me, so that's why I'm looking down. Now, they were referencing a research paper called COVID Vaccine Associated Mortality in the Southern Hemisphere, in which 17 countries had their data analysed to work out when and where these increased spikes in mortality were occurring And the long and the short of the paper is that they're occurring after booster shots are rolled out, not after COVID infections. And this was particularly true, and this may surprise people, in aged care facilities where the death rates increased after a vaccine rollout not during infections. Now, that doesn't stack up to what we are told about the health uh, official position. We should be seeing a decrease in deaths as vaccines are rolled out, not an increase. And so as pieces of research like this are put out, people are going, well, maybe we should have a better look at this. Yeah, well, I hope they do. I mean, the one thing that really stood out to me very early with the uh, New South Wales respiratory surveillance reports, which clearly showed that the more shots you'd had, almost to an exponential degree, you were more likely to end up in hospital, the ICU, or to die. So that that's how it all kicked off for me and for many people. And now that this inf- further information is coming out, at what point 
do we start seeing some people start to answer for what they've done to so many? Um, I know there's a couple of people pushing for some uh, citizen movements uh, looking into this over in New Zealand, for example, where they're looking to have some people arrested. You know, hopefully that will be the case. But, I mean, do you think it'll ever get to that? Do you, or are you hopeful? Well, the first thing that we have to have before we get to that point is an overwhelming body of evidence. And I often see people refute studies like this and say things along the lines of, oh, well, it's only a small study what's going on. So I think it's important that for your viewers, I just quote here the countries involved. I'm just going to read them so I don't get them wrong. There were 17 countries in this study. They were Argentina, Australia, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, Malaysia, New Zealand, Paraguay, Peru, the Philippines, Singapore, South Africa, Shanae, Thailand and Uruguay, which, as Augusto Zimmerman writes, represents 9.1% of the Earth's population. So these are not small studies. These are huge studies. And we need more of these to put pressure on people like the Australian government to say, well, how can you just keep hand-waving official scientific papers like this that are showing you that there is something going wrong, there is no explanation being given for the excess mortality that's happening? What is your answer? And I don't think there are enough people who are questioning the government and the health authorities about this because no one in power wants to pull this up because so many people in power in so many countries in the world had a hand in causing the situation. I agree. And the problem being the mainstream media and the government were the most complicit in all of this, besides Big Pharma, of course, and uh, they would therefore need to draw a light upon themselves. Uh, so apart from that, hoping that's going to happen, and of course, the only way that is going to happen is, as you suggested, that we are very, very vocal. But what do we do be beyond being being vocal? Do we get back out on the streets every weekend? What's the best way we can initiate some sort of movement that will bring about some real change? We have to keep encouraging researchers to collate data. Our biggest problem that we have right now is the quality of data that is being collated, which makes it very difficult for us to mount a scientific argument, particularly in a court of law, which is where this will end up eventually. And so in order to have, as you say, people prosecuted over what happened, you have to have the statistical data to back up your claims. And that means researchers in Australia and Europe, and particularly in the UK, where they've got some good quality data that goes back to the COVID years, whereas we don't have as good a quality data, that needs to be collated. At the moment, uh, the freedom of speech is probably going to be the most important tool that we have to ensure this data is collected. We saw how the Australian government, under a Liberal leadership, I might add, leaned on social media to silence anybody who questioned uh, the data that was coming out and how victims were silenced. Now, that needs to be stopped before we can uh, continue on with this, because if the censorship laws are passed, then how are we going to continue to ask questions and collect data? So right now, the first battle we have to wage is to ensure free speech, and particularly free speech in the scientific community is preserved, because the battle to make sure that this kind of abuse of our health authorities and of our personal medical uh, records and privacy, we have to make sure that we can have the argument. And quite frankly, it's looking like Labor is doing everything in its power to make sure that they can shut up any kind of opposition to what happened. They're trying to bury it effectively. Yeah, and it makes no sense because, I mean, we had the LNP in power when most of, well, when the bulk of this happened. So there's nothing that they need to cover up for themselves. So that begs the, the question. state premiers are worried. We had a lot of Labor state premiers, if you remember. When Albanese was pressed on whether we have a royal commission, he's like, oh, maybe, but we're not going to look at the states. And that's why he's terrified. 
Yeah, oh, it's it just the whole thing was just a basket case. There was Scott Morrison, of course, with all those cabinet positions. And he was the, I, I feel he was the master of this, pushing all the buttons behind the scenes, saying, well, it's not us, it's them, and pushing it on the states and pushing it on the businesses who would then push it on to the individuals. I've got a bunch of questions to ask you, Alexandra. Uh, we're with Alexandra Marshall, everybody, online editor of The Spectator. Here we're going to do a short commercial break and the news headlines, and we'll be back with Alexandra after this. <laughs> TNT Radio News. Get the news. <laughs> the news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. With support from Australia and Canada, the United States and Britain have launched large-scale retaliatory strikes against Iranian-backed rebels in Yemen. A new bombshell report released by the Pentagon has revealed the US has lost track of over $1 billion worth of military equipment it has sent to Ukraine. And Hunter Biden appeared briefly in an L.A. courtroom on Thursday, the first son pleading not guilty to nine federal tax crimes. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. And welcome back on with Alexandra Marshall, the online editor of The Spectator here in Australia. And by the way, if you have not yet subscribed to The Spectator, you absolutely should. It's the only place you're going to get in writing the truth or one of very few places in Australia you're going to get the and some terrific writers and uh, wonderful articles as well. I would absolutely uh, implore you to do that. Uh, Alexandra Marshall with APRA. Uh, recently taking the the gags off some of the doctors. You expect some may now be a little bit more vocal than they have been over the last three and a half, four years? Well, we've already seen a few more articles stream through into The Spectator, which you can go and read, that are written by these doctors who are now no longer as frightened to speak because before, of course, people be aware, doctors risk losing their licence to practice if they dared to question anything to do with the health profession. But now they can at least raise questions and let people decide for themselves. So, yes, I think this is a step in the right direction. I was less convinced when I saw they were still sacking nurses in Queensland before refusing to have the vaccine. That was a bit more more disappointing. Yeah, uh, very disappointing. Uh, of course, we've still got a bunch of doctors and nurses, ambulance drivers out. We've got, you know, the ambulances ramping up in hospitals. Uh, a guy died after waiting 10 hours in South Australia recently. Now it's spread to Tasmania and other states where it's just becoming just ridiculous. Now, we we know this thing didn't work. We know it didn't, didn't stop the spread. We know it didn't do anything, basically, except possibly, and I would say guaranteed, caused a bunch of harm. Why the hell do we still have people in the medical profession out without jobs? Oh, well, why? Because to admit wrongdoing or to admit fault or to admit that these vaccines didn't work is going to cause a cascade of legal action and payouts and embarrassing press conferences and the ruination of many political and medical careers. Because don't forget, everyone went all in on this narrative and to say, hey, we were wrong in order to save a few jobs now is going to have a massive backlash among those who partook in it originally. And that's why we're so far down. We've invested so much into this COVID fiasco that to pick at it now is just it's almost unthinkable for the political class that they would start to do that. Even the medical class won't do it. I don't think we're going to see any progress on this topic until those who are involved have retired and left the scene and we've got new people in who aren't guilty. They're the only ones who would dare to undo it. And don't forget, we we had information that was going to be tied up for decades around the world. And if it wasn't for uh, various freedom of information style acts, uh, we would have no clue as to a lot of the data that we now have our hands on. Now, just at the time when we are relying 
on action and hoping that action is going to come about. Here's the government pushing not just here, but in lockstep around the globe on first world nations, if you want to call us that. Uh, I don't know if we are anymore. Um, they're pushing these uh, misinformation, disinformation rules and laws that are going to come out guaranteed as much as we'd hate to think so. Um, how are we going to continue to get the word out post that happening? Well, that's why I said before, the first battle we have to fight is actually for freedom of information and for freedom of speech, because it's going to take a long time to gather enough data together to mount a legal campaign against the mRNA vaccines and what happened. But not just the vaccines, the expansions of political power and the abuses of freedom that we saw in our government. There are a lot of problems that we have to solve, and it is going to take time to solve them. But well, let's not also forget that inside this Freedom Information Act, we've got not just the Labor Party pushing, they are copying and pasting a Morrison era put together by Paul Fletcher yeah. for this censorship thing. And I have not heard the Liberal Party at large come out and say, hey, we're really sorry for drafting the legislation that Albanese is now using to shut you up. And we're also sorry that we leaned on social media to silence all of you. And we're sorry we erased the victims of our campaign to put forward for your apparent health. Now, until Dutton comes out and says, you know, we're never going to do this again. We've we've put that policy in the shredder. We've sacked the people who wrote it. Until he does that, I don't have a huge amount of faith in the Liberal Party doing anything except oppose Albanese, but they're opposing Albanese's policy, not opposing the principles of censorship. And that is a very big difference when you're talking about our political future and the safety of democracy. Yeah, I mean, and democracy is the key issue here. Um if there's anything that is positive that has come out of the last four years, it is now that the duopoly is exactly that. I don't think too many ex-Liberal Party voters um, can see much of a difference anymore. Anyway, up until the last four years, yes, they pretended to do things. It was a bit of a magician, you know, wave your hand, you know, while I do the trick with the other hand. But now there's so much in lockstep with each other. I, I, bet, I dare say, and I would have hoped at the last election, we would have seen people going to some of the minor parties on the right. But can you understand, because I cannot for the life of me understand why people decided to go the other way. We've got almost every state in Australia now Labor. The federal federal government is Labor. And after the last three years, other than people still believing that there wasn't a duopoly and trying to punish Liberal at a federal level, I don't understand how we find ourselves here politically. Oh, that's that's just a well-known human thing that every nation on earth does and we've always done, which is if you have weak leaders or if you impoverish a population or if people are frightened, they'll always vote for the strongest, most dictatorial leader they can find, even if that leader is going to pass policies against the better interest. People just gravitate towards strength, whether that strength is good or not. That's why I try and keep campaigning for the conservatives, whether they be independent conservatives or part of the liberal NAT coalition, you must have strong, uh, bold political leaders who know who they are and what they're going to say because that's the only way people will vote for them. Someone like an Alex Antic would clean up at the next election because he knows what he's doing. He he answers the questions that he has asked and he's not afraid to have an opinion and he's been honest from the beginning. Him as a Liberal leader would do great. Even Jacinta Price would do better than Peter Dutton because she didn't have to be goaded in and coerced with a whole bunch of uh, focus groups in order to have a political position. You need to have leaders who are strong. And the people will change very quickly. If they feel that the Conservative Party has a direction, it has a goal, 
almost as you know Trumpian movement or look at the guy in Argentina he knows exactly what he's doing and people in Australia would vote for him even if they don't even know what his policies (laughs) are they know that he's a dude with a plan that is how politics work and like it or loathe it you have to have charisma and you have to have direction now unfortunately Albanese crap as he is he's still stronger than the Liberal Party that has to change and I encourage liberal-minded people to grow a backbone and get into politics. Yeah, that's the thing. You don't have to be strong. You've only got to be stronger than the other guy or gal, and that is how the we find ourselves. The bar is low. It's a low <laughs> bar. Uh, it's a lombarda out there politically at the moment. And uh, uh, by the way, Alexandra Marshall, I appreciate you coming on here uh, very much. Online editor of The Spectator. Everybody, go out, subscribe, download their articles, or you can get it sent out to you as well. She's the online editor doing a wonderful job, and I hope we can talk again uh, in the not-too-distant future. Alexandra Marshall. Thank you very much. Thanks, she's she terrific. Everybody coming up after the break, thank God it's Friday. Why? Because we know it is, because I'll be talking to Omar Khan and, of course, Paul McGowan in the second hour, two of my regular Friday guests. So stick around for that here at TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I can tolerate another person's opinion if it's not a lie. You know, people say, well, that's just my opinion. But if your opinion is based on non-fact, what is that? I really believe we have nothing but evil that is pushing this climate change situation. The ultimate evil statement I've seen in this phony climate war came out from Reuters and the Biden administration claiming that the massacre of 200 Christians on Christmas Day, for goodness sakes, had to do with climate change. Now, does anybody seriously believe that? Well, apparently a lot of these people do. We have had to deal with this for many years. John Kerry blamed the rise of Boko Haram on drought in Nigeria. Nigeria's rainfall has been above normal the last 25 years. It's similar to what happened in the 1950s. Let's see, was there Boko Haram in the 1950s? Was there the massacre of 200 Christians on Christmas Day in the 1950s? Yet it was raining more in the 1950s. What kind of evil is that? And I'll tell you something, it's across the board. I don't care if it's climate, I don't care if it's COVID, I don't care if it's a January 6th insurrection. This is worthy of Germany in the 1930s, the old Soviet Union, and China. What is amazing about it is the country that actually took the stand against that is now using those techniques on people that wish to keep the country the way it was founded. And they're using climate. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments. We turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world providing news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They faced exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. 
We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. Of course, you can get on the online chat, as have a bunch of people, as they always do. Chris writes, Alex Antic, just into price, Malcolm Roberts. We need to have a leader who is brave enough to remove us from the World Holocaust Organization and defund the UN. And uh, yeah, a bunch of people jumping on board with that. And why wouldn't you? And true, but um, I think uh, a very good point was made uh, where Alexandra Marshall said people gravitate towards a strong leader. And I kid you not, I can imagine none weaker. Uh, just in on across the board, whether it be mentally, physically, than uh, our current Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, how anybody could gravitate towards him on a federal level. What I have found is 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 counter to what she may have suggested. And what I find is people don't vote for who they want, they vote for who they hate the least. And when they are trained to hate the conservatives, you know, whether it be Donald Trump or uh, Scott Morrison, and what's not to hate after what he did to us over the last four years, but I think they vote for that which they hate the least. Unfortunately, uh, not for uh, who's the strongest, because I don't think here in the Western world we have any strong leaders at all. We have a bunch of puppets, and that is the best we could possibly hope for until we do, as suggested, and drain the swamp. Wouldn't that be nice? It's Friday. That means I'm excited because I get to talk to Omar Khan. He's a global consultant. He's a crisis response expert and a regular here on TNT Radio and especially on my program. And I welcome him. Omar Khan, how are you going? Hey, Ben, how about you now? Mate, doing really well. Always good on a Friday. What's not to love? And especially when I get to talk to uh, people such as yourself and, and Paul McGowan in our second hour, I really look forward to uh, having you on the program on a Friday afternoon. Well, it's always fun because we get to sort of tune in and hear um, the various things you've been thrashing about. Um, and there's a lot to be thrashing about these days, isn't there? Oh, mate, where, where do we start? There's so much that's going to... I'd love to start with, because I did touch upon it during the week, um, I've got a lot of uh, Indigenous New Zealand Maori friends. And, mate, when the government is targeting their group, you know, for not vaccinating the kids and trying to push vaccinations on them, mate, I, I take that personally as... Uh, you know, I'm personally offended by that, mate, and that's what they're doing over in New Zealand. Well, you know, New Zealand has, you know, it, it's a one of the interesting things is they tell us trust us, and why should we trust people um, whose response to a cold is fascism? <laughs> yes, I mean, you know, so here it is. I've got a cold. Well, what, what's the answer? Fascism, and therefore trust us. Well, I don't think so. I think the other uh, problem with anybody, New Zealand or otherwise, is the elephant is very visible in the room. There is no informed consent. We, I mean, there never has been. We didn't know enough about them. We don't know enough about the mRNA and all the things that they cause is now being investigated. 
and more and more troubling facts are coming. But the Nuremberg Protocol is informed consent. You get to know and you get to decide whether something enters your body or not. So someone obligating is a violation of your physical autonomy. Uh, it is your central human right. And so, you know, we saw this all over, didn't we? We saw uh, parents being kept away from trying to influence their children. We had children being offered ice cream cones. And when, um, you know, to go and get vaccinated. And when the carrot doesn't work, out comes the stick. You know, and then we're going to... And then you have Biden in one amazing, amazing bit of fodder to back up what you're saying. A recent thing, well, the jabs were... The jabs were not compulsory, he says. Whereas earlier yeah. clips show him saying, we're going to lock you up. You won't be able to travel anywhere. You're un-American. You're unpatriotic. You're this, you're that. So these people are just making it up out of whole cloth. And I think the only good thing about their fascism is I, ho I hope that it, it lets the rest of us know that we cannot rest easy. We must fight this thing to the end. It's very difficult for them to do that over in New Zealand. I was talking to a, a man who's pushing for, uh, from a citizen's perspective, for an inquiry into COVID over there because the government's not going to do it. He's had to team up with people from England. He's had to team up with our very own Senator Malcolm Roberts here in Australia because, according to him, there are absolutely no, there is not a single politician in New Zealand who is prepared, even the so-called conservatives, to question the COVID narrative post Jacinda Ardern. I found that very difficult to, to believe, especially of of the the, the Maori population over there, uh, a bunch of you know proud warriors from a race of warriors, and they always stand up, and probably too few of them in politics. Over there, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, you have to hope because I mean, there was a time where you could have said almost the same about Australia, uh, about there being very few political voices. Now that swelled. You could say that about the UK, and then slowly, uh, one as people have found their voices and channels like GB News have entered the mainstream in the US now certain number of Congress uh, candidates are declaring that they will pull, they will insist as part of their platform on the full removal of the mRNA shots and that they will not take any donations from Big Pharma. This would have been unheard of, I mean, even a year ago. So I, I'm with you in being discouraged at New Zealand's current situation uh, in terms of the lack of any political backing, but one hopes that we just have to keep hacking away until something gets irrigated, as is slowly but surely happened elsewhere. I mean, it's a different topic, but you look at the German truckers, which no mainstream media will oh, yes. cover, yes. right? I mean, they will not cover this outpouring, the, the, the Dutch farmers before them, um, and all of that. And you actually see that people are realizing we can stop this. Yeah. If enough and of us decide, no, hell no. And Omar, we can let, stop this. let's talk about that because over in Germany, I mean, to ever hear the term austerity me measures used 
in conjunction with any European country, but especially the likes of the Germans who are known for how fastidious and meticulous they are. Yes. They're mechanically brilliant. You know, they manufacture, you know, Volkswagen is a perfect example of the Germans. And for them to have fuel shortages and for their farmers not to be able to, you know, afford fuel, for them not to have the infrastructure and for them to having to be contending with that which Angela Merkel allowed and, and many other people along with her. It's just horrific. If that can happen to Germany, it can happen to anybody. Well, it's starting to happen. It's starting to happen in the UK. When you look outside London and sort of hedge fund central, you see high street after high street looking like a ghost town. You know, you see it with the number of bankruptcies among normal businesses in the US. And Austerity is coming to a neighborhood um, close to everyone oh, yes. because the absence of it would require imagination. The absence of it would mean government stops taxing the poor. Instead of doing socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor, you realize that, you know, actually utilize, have, a, have, a, you know, have a, the same playing field and you can tell we don't have the same playing field because you simply have to take a look at the number of uh, pharma-led um, candidates, yeah. how much donations are flooding in. And that's why that pushback in the U.S. Uh, is so critical, my friend. I mean, look at the U.K., unprecedented cardiac event, fueled excess death crisis, and the COVID inquiry decides they're going to postpone until after the general election. <laughs> You can't because make they this couldn't stuff possibly, up, yeah. Does that tell you who's afraid of uh, what might come to the fore? Although, although mean, it is, it is funny. Yeah. In that, um, I get, and that makes perfect sense to postpone that. But the one thing is, and of course, you know, I would much rather Trump than possibly anybody else. Uh, sure. There is Ron DeSantis. Uh, there's, of course, Senator Rand Paul, who I would always have much rather be the the president of the United States. But all that aside, if we have to remember. And this is the one thing that really does my head in, because they could use, the Democrats could use the fact that anybody who wasn't happy with the last four years and the mRNA vaccines, it was, of course, Donald Trump, who was the mastermind behind all of that and Operation Warp Speed. It's funny how quickly we forget that, because it is the one negative yes. you can take away from Donald Trump as a conservative. And I remember him being in front of a room of his supporters and, and taking ownership of Operation Warp Speed. And he was booed universally, you know, universally in that room. And he said, oh, but we never made you take it. So there is always that. That's always in the yeah, back of my well, mind. Yeah, well, you know, I think Trump, if he was coachable, would be really potent. In other words, if he said, you know what, I did the best I could, and looking back, I would never do that again. Um, and a good leader learns from what happened, and what happened after I left was a real fiasco because evidence kept mounting and it was ignored. I've now seen the evidence. We're not reading tea leaves anymore. This bullshit would never happen again. But he doesn't say that. He says we saved so many lives. I'm the person who gave you the vaccine. And he doesn't know that there are people sitting there saying, you know, you're a freak show. Yeah. You know, it's just fortunate that, you know, your counterpart is uh, pathologized senility <laughs> on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, you know, it, it's terrifying. Now, you know, Rand Paul, who you mentioned, yeah. he made an announcement uh, 11 hours ago 
that he has something important to say today. Don't miss it. So let's see. Yeah, let's mate, see when, what that is. When Ron or his son Rand Paul have something important to say, uh, we should all be all ears. Uh, but just one thing, you know, getting back to, to Donald Trump, let's imagine it was President sure. Omar Khan there at the time, and we had all these experts in your ear, big pharma in your ear, pushing this. I know you would have said, get stuff. We don't need any any of this. We're, we're not going to lock down. We're not going to do any of that. We're just going to roll with it and let, um, and I'm just guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, and we'll let natural herd immunity yeah. take control. You wouldn't have fallen for that. That's why um, I am dubious of Donald Trump, because to me, the last four years yes. was the most obvious con job ever. And if he can fall for that, then he can fall for anything. Well, yeah, and, and I don't think it's because I would claim to be super, you know, astute or, or uh, maximally courageous, but I would just say I have self-preservation and I don't want to blow up the world. And at least when these people started coming and saying this to me, and it just doesn't pass the smell test. You know, you and I did this in our last show about from the first eye doctor yeah. in China, having noticed an odd pneumonia strain to having these stupid tests shipped out less than 30 days. So, yeah, it's a con job. But I think the thing you and I would have done differently is we would have gotten a real tent of experts. We would have listened to the Scott Atlases from day one. We would have listened uh, to Ioannidis from day one. Yep. We would have yep. listened when the great Barrington people came out. We would have said, let's have a public debate. You know, that one, uh, let's have a, you know, truth has no reason to fear debate. It's only falsehood that fears debate. <laughs> True. So yeah, I think we, that's where I really hold him, uh, you know, to account is his lack of curiosity when playing with the lives of billions. Well, I, I hope he gets in because I think after what they've tried to, to do to him, if it's not all a big pantomime puppet show for all the rest of us just to pretend they're doing something. Uh, but if they're fair income and if he literally is upset about it uh, and responds in the way that you or I would, I think he's going to clean house. I really think. And he's said he's going you know, to push people back over. I mean, if he doesn't, then... Uh, we're really sunk and it's going to take, but the current people need to be removed. I don't care what else happens. Oh, I, uh, I mean, you know, I, I was just talking about the fact, can you imagine the defense secretary got, and I hope him, I wish him a speedy recovery. This is how bad it is in the U.S. The defense secretary is in hospital. Apparently the president doesn't know he's in hospital. Uh, we've got war on two fronts going, so who's making the decision? The assistant defense secretary, she was in Puerto Rico. She didn't even know this guy was in the hospital and she was the acting defense secretary. So do they not have phones in Puerto Rico? Uh, <laughs> and so now the question is, so who was, who was sending off all these drones? Who was making the decisions? What if somebody had asked for a ceasefire? So that, in other words, these people who are put on the front, it just shows you again, a la Biden, a la the defense secretary, they're not the ones taking the decisions. There's a cabal pulling strings, and these people are just showpieces. I couldn't agree more. Something I really want to touch on, because we've only got like less than two minutes, is, mate, because I love seeing Disney go down the gurgler. I love it. I'm yeah. enjoying it with the Marvel movies, the Star Wars franchise with their new Echo. It's just all oh. going down the drain, and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And despite the fact that they are losing billions, they're still pushing forward with this woke BS. So Marvel, as we said, somebody said, went woke, now it's going broke. And it's going broke because they think their job is to morally lecture uh, their attendees. Attendees come for escape. 
attendees do not come to be edified. All right, this is not a documentary of the JFK assassination. I mean, this is something where you want to be stimulated, right? And you just want to relax. And now you have this person, and, and by the way, no man can be trusted. Uh, and every woman has to be shown as effortlessly um, together. And it, yes. it does an injustice to real women leaders, and it does injustice. What we want to do is to re reduce barriers, not switch barriers, you know, from one gender to another. Um, so I think as long as they think that they're on a soapbox moralizing, they will go down the tube and deserve to. When they well, go back to producing imaginative entertainment or giving us new myths like the original Star Wars or the Lord of the Rings, hallelujah. Omar, they're going down the gurgler. They're doing it with Echo. They've got this woke uh, woman. I think she's from Pakistan. She's known for doing documentaries and she loves offending men. And that's who they're getting to do the next Star Wars. We'll talk about that next Friday. Omar Khan. All right. Out of I'm time. with you. Have a great weekend. And we'll be back with our, thank you, with our UKR straight after the headlines. <laughs>